0: All right. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, that was a wee bit of fun, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, A couple of weeks ago, um, I met with the <clears throat> pastor at Farmington Methodist over here just a few weeks ago met him in his office and he had this like red phone on his desk you know like batman so so i asked him what is this red phone and he says well that's our direct line to god so whenever we need something we pick up the phone and we talk on it and uh, it's a direct line i said wow that is that is absolutely amazing he said yeah but it's a long distance call so it costs a little bit. And I said, oh, it, oh, it does. Yeah. It costs a little bit for us to get there. And I said, oh, very good. Well, just this past week, he came over here and uh, we were talking and I had one of those red phones in my office. And he said, oh, you got one of those red phones. I said, yeah. He said, did, how did you work that into the budget? Because for us, it's like really a lot of money for that. And I said, oh, from here, it's a local call. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you're watching none of that happened, I'm just having a little fun this morning. This morning. <clears throat> Did you notice that the snow changed your environment a little bit this morning? Yeah. So let me tell you how it changed mine because my wife isn't in here. And I didn't ask her for permission for this. But I'm sure she'd be Okay. I'm in bed and I'm asleep. It is 3.15 in the morning. If, if you know anything about me, I love sleep. And I just like to sleep. I don't care what's happening outside. If somebody's breaking in the house, I'm going to get up. And for the first 10 minutes, I'm really good. After the 11th minute, I'm not sure what would happen, but I'm really hyped up. Another story for another time. And so 3.15, Nicole nudges me. Hey, hey, it's snowing outside. And if you want to see it, you need to get up and look out the window. I am 49 years old. I've already seen snow before. I mean, why do I need to get up and see? I feel like my dad now. Why do I need to get up and see the snow? I've seen it before. It's nothing new. So I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, when is it supposed to go out? She said, well, one, it wasn't really supposed to happen. But two, um, it'll be warm enough in the morning and, and, you know, just kind of washed away by the time you get up. So when I got up at 630, I did look outside just to see what was going on, and lo and behold... There was the snow and I thought to myself, you know, I'm glad I stayed in bed. <laughs> really glad I stayed in bed, right? But have you ever noticed that down here, like in North Carolina, in this area snow really changes our our environment, doesn't it? I mean, if if it is snowing, it is a a big thing. It's like a blizzard is coming. We we lived in um northern kentucky for a while right south of cincinnati just 20 minutes south of cincinnati in a place called alexander kentucky and literally it would rain every other i mean not rain it would snow literally every other day so there would be snow on the ground and if you if you stop like we stopped here nobody would do anything ever right if you ever if you ever stop for that so up there, it's really not that big of a deal unless it gets to be, you know, a foot or more up there. It's just not that big of a deal. But down here, man, it starts to snow, and, and it's, it's, really, it's really nuts. Now, let me back up here and say this. Um, I agree with it because I've seen some people drive on the snow. And, and really, they should just stay home. You know, they, they don't know what to do with it. Um, some people drive way too slowly, and that's not the way you do it. And some people drive way too quickly. I don't care if you have four-wheel drive, that means four wheels will slip on whatever you're going. So if you're going 75 miles per hour down the interstate, in other words, if you are passing me, that's a problem. <laughs> I just, it's just a problem. If you're passing me, that is a problem. But nonetheless, it changes your environment, right? And so with, with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the great book, the awesome book of Leviticus. Awesome book of Leviticus. And we're going to be reading from chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. And this is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not being done and does any one of them, this is what you should do. And then it continues. It goes through the passage and it tells you what a priest should do, it tells you what the congregation should do, it tells you what the leader in your community should do, and then it tells you what the community should do if they sin or if an individual sins. And The whole of chapter 4 is talking about these sins that are um, unintentional that people do, these unintentional type of sins. So first, sin is real. It's a real thing. It's not something that we get excited about talking about, right? It's not something that we get excited about hearing about. It's just not that that exciting to talk about sin. It's it's kind of a downer, right, to talk about sin. Okay, do you agree with that? Because if you don't, I mean, we could write a song, Do you sin? Yes, I do. all the time, all the time, I sin all the time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is it is it really something that you really want to talk about? Is it really something you want to say, hey, I sin, buddy, and let me tell you about it, right? If we started sharing some of our sins, there'd be a lot of uncomfortableness in the room, right? And then the, yeah, so it's just not an exciting truth, but sin is real. And And we have to talk about it because sin is a big deal. It's a big deal, sin is. Um, I think it's interesting that in the last 10 years, and it could be more than 10 years, that we have all these movies that explain the backstory of evil people, especially in the Disney movies. So you have like Snow White and the Wicked Witch, and now we have her backstory that explains why she is who she is. And it's told in such a way that she is no longer as bad as we once thought. She tried to poison a young girl with an apple, but that's no big deal because her backstory was bad. And so it brought her to this point where she wanted to kill somebody And all of a sudden, yeah, that's pretty funny, but kind of sad at the same time. But all of a sudden, what we've done is we have taken what is evil and we've made it a little more good because we don't want to really say that people are really that bad. And the Bible is here to tell you this morning that there are evil people in the world And there are sinful people in the world. And we are all a part of that club. We all sin. Every single one of us sin. I find that people... um, Next screen. People will sin as long as they can get consent from their conscience. People will sin as long as they get consent from their conscience. So you and I don't often want to feel like that what we're doing is wrong. And and so we work on our conscience to not do something that is wrong, that we know is wrong according to the word of God. See, this is why God knew what he was doing when he put how to live in the scriptures. Because he knew that one day we would actually figure out a way to make murder okay. Okay. And if you think about our society, there is a group of people that are making murder okay. And it started in the womb. And we have progressed over time to where now if the baby's born in some places and you're not thrilled with the baby. But it's okay because it's the person's choice and their body's choice right? And it's sad. So all of a sudden you've got this, this sin that the Bible says is murder. And God knew that we would twist because our conscience, if our conscience gives us permission to do something and we really think that that is true, like it's okay if someone does this, it's okay if someone chooses this lifestyle. It's okay if someone lies in this particular situation, like does this dress make me fat? It's okay for you to lie because you want to keep your marriage happy. Um, if, Okay, it, it, there's, there's just little things that happen that, that we consciously will give ourselves permission to lie about something and, and so that we feel better about it. Look, <clears throat> I know because we're all human in the room that when we're watching something on TV and we're really enjoying the movie, we will put up with stuff that we are watching that is against the scriptures and that the scriptures say, do not allow your eyes to even view that because we like the movie and we do not have the tenacity to say, hey, we're going to skip this part and go to the next thing or the tenacity to say, hey, this movie for the first 30 minutes has dropped the F-bomb like 20,000 times, I think one time's enough, but 20,000 times and we're just not gonna watch this all the way through. Because we want to watch it because everybody else is watching it and in our conscious we're saying, we can hear that and it will not affect our language. But the next time that we hit our thumb with a hammer or we trip, what comes out of our mouth? tell me is he good that's not what comes out of your mouth it's not what comes out of your mouth and so what happens is we 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 massage it and and we get to where our conscience says that it's okay to sin in that way so here chapter 4 like it's sort of at the beginning, but not really. he says if the people sins unintentionally. now, what does the unintentional mean? Well, it comes from this word right here, which is Hebrew. you actually read it this way, and it's shaggi it is how you say that shagi and Shagi is actually a term that means a sin of error or indifference, a wandering of the mind to something you shouldn 't do it is it is a um It is a word that means to go wrong. You went wrong in this particular thing. Um, It also means to get lost or in error or in oversight. The unintentional part of this word, we don't really have a word that encompasses all that together in the English language, but the, the sense of the word is, I am a follower of Jesus, but I have found myself going against his word for whatever reason. I have fallen into sin for a temporary period of time. This word is totally different than the opposite word of it. That means to be in open rebellion against God. And in Numbers, it says that if you are sinning in open rebellion to God, God says to cut that person off and do not let them back into the the, uh, camp. That's what it says about that person, someone that's in open rebellion to God. But here, the unintentional, I'm following God, but man... I shouldn't have told her. I guess back then it would go something like this. I shouldn't have told her that that robe made her look fat. I think I that. Okay. That's a preacher joke. I'll wait for that later and use that at another time with a preacher joke. But nonetheless, it's, it's like that little thing. And so and so we have, we have this word that basically says if your emotions carry you to a place before your mind catches up and you sin. Are you tracking? Have you ever had a moment? I think that's the next screen. Have you ever had the moment when your emotions carry you to a place before your mind caught up with you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Are you married? (laughs) Do you have children? There are times where your emotions catch up with you and you wind up doing something that you're like, I... I really should not have done that. Um, it, I have to say, some of, for some of us, it was as soon as, as soon as yesterday. I mean, as recent as yesterday, right? There, there was something that happened, and we just got upset. And before too long, our, our mouth was running before we caught up with ourselves. And then after we said what we said, we created an environment that was just bad, a sacred environment that became ordinary, Right? And, and all of a sudden we were, we were going back and forth with, with our spouse or our children or somebody else and our emotions took us into it. An emotion of lust will take you into a lustful sin. An emotion of anger will take you into places not only where you hurt people here, but you do things even in your environment that you really shouldn't have done. And before too long, your emotion takes you to a place that God says you're not supposed to live in. See? And so our emotions carry us to a place before our mind catches up. And so this word means that when we sin and, and we catch ourselves in it, if you notice that verse um, in verse 3 of chapter 4, it says, if it's the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for sin that he's committed a bull from the herd without blemish. I mean, if he catches himself, if he does something unintentionally and he catches himself later, that is the moment that he has to do something about that particular sin. So sin is a real real thing. And everybody in here sins. We don't want to hear it. We check out. When, when it's being talked about, we really don't want to hear about it. But God wants you to hear about it. And here's why. Because God wants to dwell with you. And he cannot dwell with you if you continue in sin. Revelation chapter 3 says, Jesus is outside a door and he says, Behold, I knock. If any man hears my voice and will let me in, I will come in and fellowship with him. See, that verse isn't about salvation. It's about fellowship with Jesus. And when you sin, you push Jesus out of your life and he cannot be in your space because he can only be in a space that is holy. So when you sin, you've made the holy ordinary. When I say ordinary, what I mean is we live in an ordinary world that is affected by sin. So if you live an ordinary sort of Christian life, it's a life that is really something where you do sin over and over again. And you really don't worry about whether or not you have a, a relationship with Jesus that's, that's, you know, impactive. And so you are outside, you, are out, you pushed him outside of your life. And he's sitting there knocking, saying, I want to come in and I want to dwell with you. See, the whole point of the tabernacle is that God set in the middle of his people a place where he would reside. And the, and the holy of holies was where, was where the ark was, and then there was this veil, and then there's this little altar of incense, and inside of here is where the priest went. So you had the holy of holies and you had the most holy place. And then outside of that tent, you had this altar of sacrifice because there has to be a sacrifice offered in order for people to dwell in the presence of God. It has to happen that way. And so God says, hey, you sin against me all the time and there's sins that you will do unintentionally even though you're trying to follow me. But here's the deal, I still want to dwell with you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a way for you to dwell with me. And this is how we're going to do it. And in that day, it was the most holy place, holy of holies, priest. You offered your sacrifice. There was blood that was sprinkled on the outside of the altar. There was blood that was poured into the ground. The offering was burnt up, depending on which offering you were doing. And you were able to reconcile your relationship with the God that created you. It was an absolutely amazing thing because God wanted to dwell with you. And in order for him to dwell with you, you had to have a sacred space. See, Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for your sins, for my sins. And if we accept him as our personal savior, he comes and lives within inside of us. And this is a temple that he lives in. On the third day, he arose again so that we could have life abundantly. In other words, life abundantly in God is a sacred place. It's a sacred place that surrounds you. So he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could resist temptation and remain faithful to him. And so we walk in the power of the cross And the power of Jesus and his resurrection in a life that didn't just redeem my soul, but it redeemed my space. And anytime I decide to act differently, anytime I allow my emotions to take me to a place where I sin, I make the sacred space that God died for ordinary. I never lose my salvation. I am always saved. And in fact, if I was to sin right now and Jesus was to come back, I would still go to heaven because Jesus and his sacrifice is not that fickle. It's solid. It's a one-time only deal and I'm going to heaven. But I can make the space I live in either ordinary, filled with sin, or I can make it a space that is sacred, where God is always with me, walking with me, guiding my steps. This means that when we're here, we watch what we do. We watch what we do. We watch what we say. We watch what we watch on our devices in this space. 1835 Farmington Road is a place where a group of people decided that this is where they're going to meet Jesus on Sunday morning, and this is a sacred space so we make sure that we're operating by the book in our interactions with each other and our vision for where this church should go. We make sure that we're following Jesus. That is what we do. But the sacred space, it actually extends outside of this room. It extends to your households. You see these people in chapter four, if, if a leader came, he had to not only get forgiveness of his sins, he had to cleanse his sacred space. And so did the people, the individual person. Because your home is either sacred right now or it's ordinary. A sacred home is one that honors Jesus and tries, the people inside try their best to follow things according to the word of God and tries to point their their children to the word of God. And if the word of God says not to do something, they do not allow the emotion of the moment to get in the way of obeying the word of God. But there are some people's houses that aren't sacred spaces. They're just ordinary. And the reason that they're ordinary is we've allowed anger to enter into them. We've allowed sin to enter into them of all different types. We have allowed our sacred space that should be in our home to be defiled to where Jesus is outside of our home saying, I want to come in and make a difference in your life, but you have to let me do that. And the way that you do that is you say, Lord, I'm sorry, and he comes in, and you restore that relationship. I talk to a lot of people, I do, about their marriages, about their kid, kids' problems, I do. In fact, this past couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of that. First, I want you to know this sermon was a year in advance. Second, this is what I try to get people to see. If you do not take care of your sin problem, you will not take care of your problem. If you do not get to the place where you personally aren't adding to making your space ordinary in your home, you will never get past, you will never get past the sinfulness in your home and the destruction that happens because of that. You'll never get past it. I do not have a magic wand when you come to me. But Jesus has forgiveness. And you have to get that forgiveness and take that in and change what you're doing. And it's every situation, there is always people that need to quit doing the sins that they so easily do in the privacy of their home that they think that doesn't affect anyone around them, but it does. They need to get rid of that in their home. How many of you have a um, a nest? Not a bird's nest, a nest like this. Oh, I commend you. I commend you for that, because I have one, and. Um, I got it because it connects to some other devices in my house and I can actually tell Alexa to turn up the temperature and turn down the temperature because I, I just, I'm just that, that geek. Okay. I just like that stuff. In fact, my wife doesn't know this. She's not in the room. She's not in the room right now, My wife doesn't know this. But when I leave my office, see, I have an Alexa in my office and, um, I can tell Alexa that I'm going home, and Alexa will turn up the temperature in the house. (laughs) Awesome? It's incredible. Some of you are thinking, no. You do not know how good that is. A couple of weeks ago, my nest, um, just don't shoot me for this, told me who it voted for. And it said, um, "Would you like me, Ness, as if it's real, to save you energy and and modify your home to where you get the maximum output from your um, air conditioning heating system, but I save you money on your electric bill?" Now I'm I'm giving some embellishment to what was on that little screen, but that's basically what it said. It was several pages of it as you turned it, it's not really pages, more like lines, but nonetheless, it was going to like do my home and make it to be more energy efficient. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that would, might save me a couple of dollars, you know, on the, on electric bill. So I'm good with that. So let's see what happens. Well, it started to do this thing. And what I found was every morning, my family was waking up and we were freezing cold. Because as it turns the uh, thing down to 66 every night so that the heat will not come on, I am waking up in the middle of the night, freezing in my covers. My wife's okay because she has piles of covers on top of her, but I am freezing cold. So what I would do is we have this little space heater inside inside of my room and I would touch the space heater to turn on some heat because I'm freezing. But that only does our room. So when you would wake up in the morning and you would walk down the hallway, there was a climate change. <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to do that joke with the, with the serious straight voice. I just couldn't do it. There was a climate change as I walked down the hallway, right? And it got cooler and cooler. And when you got to our kitchen, our kitchen was at 63 degrees. 63 degrees. Now, what was occurring was some of that heat from my space heater was flowing down the hall to where the nest would not. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So it's 63. And so at that point, I'm turning on the gas logs, I'm getting another space heater, and I'm trying to heat my house up from 63 degrees to get it to where we're comfortable. Quinn, who is a white boy in shorts in the wintertime, I mean, it any moment there's some white guy in shorts somewhere. I'm a white guy. Just watch, go to the mall, go wherever you go. There's always a white guy somewhere in shorts. Always in the wintertime. My son is that way. My son is now putting on pants and coats and freezing. And when he's in school, he has this very thick blanket that he would wrap around his legs. Right. And, and, you know, he would try to get warm as he's typing and trying to get on the computer and stuff like that it was freezing cold in my house so I just let this go and one day I was just waiting for this to happen and one day Nicole goes um Philip it is it is 61 degrees in the kitchen this morning is there something wrong with our heat and I said nope but I was waiting for that moment and so instantly I went to the nest I changed it all I did my own schedule and now thank God we're warm again we are killing trees and animals and plants. But oh my goodness, we're warm. And if we're going to go out, we're going out happy. Right? It is just awesome. It's just warm. It's awesome. Okay, so what, is the, what in the world? What is the he's getting at? That nest, when it was doing its little calculations, did not consider everything else that would happen in the home in order to keep us warm. It was just focused on its one little thing. The air conditioning system outside, the return unit downstairs, turning that on and off, and what energy-wise would be the best thing for it. It did not consider that its decisions was actually affecting everything else in my home. It was affecting the way I slept because I woke up freezing. It was, it was affecting the way I got up in the morning. It was affecting um, gas usage. It was, it was just affecting a lot of things that it never considered, I am convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that there are people that sin that think that it doesn't hurt anybody else. I'm convinced that there are Christians that say, this is my sin and it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't affect anybody around me as I do it. And what they don't realize is every time you sin, no matter how private it may be, it still gets Life in the world around you and it changes your environment. When you sin and you do it privately, it changes your demeanor and the way that you interact with people. If it is a sin of lust and your spouse doesn't know it, they know it. They don't know exactly what's wrong, but they know it. And before too long, they expect it. If your child has a private sin and you notice that they have changed, it affects you in some way because it affects the space in their life. Is everybody tracking? And so God chooses to redeem us on the inside so that we can have life abundantly out here. And if we are not following his rules, if we are having our pet sins, it's preventing that life from happening and you do not sin on an island. You do not sin on an island. It is not just secluded to you. It affects everything around you. Do you know why the world is getting worse? Because more and more people Are sinning. And more and more people are cultivating that culture of ordinary space rather than holy space. And some things that was wrong 40 years ago is now right today. And I'm here to tell you right and wrong from this book doesn't change from generation to generation, it is always the same. So, what do we do if we have? That pet sin. What in the world do we do? God wants to dwell with us. What in the world do we do? Well, God has an answer for that. So check this out. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally, and we already know what that means, Okay. In any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them. If it is the anointed priest who sins thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for that sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood um, on the horns of the altar, fragrant incense before the Lord, that is the tent that is in the tent of meeting and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting and all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offerings. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside of the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it up on a fire of wood on the ash heap shall burn it up. Now, if you continue to read about the congregation, it's gonna have the same procedure at the whole congregation. That means the Levites and everybody that is outside sins, that's the same thing. And actually, verses 13 and following um, actually describes what's called the Day of Atonement, which we're gonna get to much later. After that, in verse 22, it says, when a leader sins, it's not the same. And then in verse 27, when it says, if any one of the common people sins, that procedure is not the same. So, so let, let me show you this just real quickly, okay? So at the sins; he's behind the altar. He has to uh, sacrifice something on the altar and then he enters into the holy holy place. And there's a veil before the ark and he sprinkles seven times, which by the way is the number of completion, He sprinkles seven times blood on that particular veil and then he takes blood and he puts it on the horns of that altar of incense. And At that moment, that sacred place then becomes clean. You see, the priest has a responsibility that he needs to live his life in such a way that he can enter into that space to give prayer for the people so that the sacrifices will be accepted. That's what that's for. And if he sins, he desecrates that space. Are you tracking? And so it has to be cleansed. When the whole congregation sins, that includes the priest. That's why the priest still has to go inside and then do everything at the altar. Now, when the priest comes back outside, he pours the rest of the blood onto the ground. And the symbol of that is when you sin, you actually curse the ground that you walk on. This has been the same way since Genesis. Adam and Eve cursed the ground that they walked on. And it's blood that gives redemption. It is blood that makes things sacred. Is everybody tracking? I, I think that's pretty neat. Okay. But when a leader that isn't attached to the sanctuary sins, nothing is done inside the sanctuary. It's done all at the altar. So there's altar, there's, Stuff sprinkled seven times around the altar that's outside the temple. And then the, uh, the blood is put on the horns of that burnt offering. And then that guy goes home because the space that he has made ordinary or he's desecrated is actually within his own home. It's, it's where he lives. What he, it's what he touches. And so this sacrifice actually takes care of not only his sin on the inside. It also takes care of what happened in his home. As well. It's pretty intriguing, isn't it? Oftentimes we've heard that this particular sacrifice covers the sin. But actually, the word that is used there is not really a a word for cover, it's a word for wash away the penalty of sin. Wash away. What does the blood of Christ do? It washes away the penalty of your sin. That is what it does. What an amazing theatrical picture of what Christ would do in the New Testament. And Jesus not only sprinkled his blood for you, he also went up into the heavenly place where that throne room is and put his blood in front of God the Father. Why? Because when he put your sins on his shoulders, he made the heavenly place ordinary because he became ordinary, because he became sin for you. So he takes his precious blood into heaven and sprinkles it for a one-time only deal to make that space sacred again so that when you and I live there, There's no sin to be found. Come on, church. That's great. So God does all of this because his his concept is that he wants to dwell with you. And you and I as Christians don't realize how radical that is. When all of this was being put together and God was saying this, the people around Judaism had to make sacrifices to the gods all the time. They had to feed them all the time because obviously they got hungry. And they had to keep them happy. And if they kept the gods happy, because that was the goal of religion, to keep the gods happy, they would actually have rain for their crops and they would have a good crop and they would be blessed with children and everything like that. So they were constantly feeding. And did I feed him enough? Did I give him enough? Did I make a big enough sacrifice? Because they just wanted to keep the gods who were not really involved in their life happy. The one true God doesn't need you to make him happy. He doesn't need you. He wants you. Come on. And he wants you so much that he wants it to be clear how you can dwell with him. And it is crystal clear how you can dwell with him. And he doesn't pull that punches. He says, I know you're going to sin unintentionally, but when you do, this is how you restore your relationship with me because I'm not going to kick you out of the family because you have made a mistake, because you have sinned, because you've done that thing. I always want you back in my family. I always want to have fellowship with you. That is also radical because we don't even do that with each other. It's it's almost impossible for humans to do that, but God does that. So how in the world does this thing work? And it works with a lovely word called confession. You have to confess your sins. Confession. Oh, that means I've got to admit when I'm wrong. Yes. You're looking at somebody that Loves to be right. Am I looking at other people that love to be right? Like if, you've, if you have expended emotional capital in a situation and you've really made a stand because you were upset, you really want to be right. But oftentimes after that experience, you step back and you say, I was wrong. And the hardest person to say I'm sorry to is Nicole. Man. I can say, Quinn, not a problem. Probably because he's mostly wrong and I'm right. (laughs) Aurora, not that hard to do. A little harder than Quinn, though, because Aurora and I are about the same. And she thinks she's right, and I think I'm right. And, yeah, you just have to, have to be there. And she, we just love each other, but we are the same, Aurora and I, in that regard. But, man, Nicole, man, it's just... Really, do I have to confess this to her? Do I really have to say, I'm sorry? So the way I get around that sometimes is I say, okay... Nicole, you did this, this, and this, but I'm sorry for this little thing that I did because I did it because you made me. (laughs) I wouldn't have been this upset if you hadn't, uh, right? Right? Yeah? And let me tell you, every marriage gets these playing cards when they get married. It's almost like you say, I do, and the pastor goes, here's some cards just in case. (laughs) Play this one you made me do it, you made me do it, you made me this upset, you made me this upset. But listen, that isn't confession. Confession is when you own it. I acted incorrectly. I sinned. And it's nobody else's fault but mine. Your environment may have been bad and you grew up with that environment all the while and there might be an ex um there might be a reason why you are acting the way that you are acting there might be a reason for it but that does not make it less of a sin that you are committing that confession is freeing I Know why I act this way, but God wants to give me life abundantly, so I'm going to confess this and be free of this. I no longer want to be bound by some environment that I grew up in that I have to use as an excuse when I do a sin, and somehow my conscience is saying it's okay because of this environment. It is not okay, it is sin. And God wants to dwell with you in such a way that you confess and you're real about it and say, I am sorry for what I did. I do not want to do this again. Help me follow you and get free of all of that. When I do this, I hurt other people and I definitely don't wanna be hurt like I was hurt. I don't wanna hurt other people like I was hurt. I want to be free of it. And it's only through confession that you can be free of it. It's only through confession. Here's a verse, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what God doesn't do? He doesn't do this. Well, you've already done this 58 times, so we're done. He says, You're forgiven because he's faithful. Aren't you glad? At any moment, you confess and you can be free of it. Lord, I did it again. I'm trying not to. I am so sorry I did it. I will go ask forgiveness from the people that I affected. I'll go ask forgiveness from my family, my wife. Please give me strength to do that. But man, I want to be free of it. I am so sorry. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means at that moment, we are forgiven of our sins. Jesus Christ comes into our our hearts and fellowships with us us again and our space becomes sacred. And it's from a space that is sacred that we can actually start taking care of the damage that we have done because we have sinned. Confession is freedom and your enemy knows it. Satan knows it. So he's convinced us that confession is not the thing to do. He makes us feel very uncomfortable about confession and actually saying what we have done wrong. But man, the reason he does that is because he does not want you to have freedom in Christ. He wants you to be in bondage to that so that you can do it over and over and over so that that sin will continue to destroy your family, your workplace, your environment. Confession frees you. He is faithful and just to forgive us all the time. When will God forgive? Anytime you confess. He will forgive you of that sin. Here's another one. James 5:16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is an amazing verse. It tells us that we can confess our sins to one another. Let me unpack that a minute. First, don't just tell anybody what you've done. I know you're afraid because you're sitting beside that person, but don't (laughs) just tell anybody what you've done. You need to tell somebody that isn't going to tell someone else. And if you're a person that when you hear somebody confess a sin, that you're the one that gets on Facebook and tells all your friends, you are not doing anybody any favors. In fact, you're just trying to make yourself feel good about the sin that you're trying to camouflage. So you pick somebody that is a confidant and you say, Look, I have confessed my sins to Jesus, but man, the guilt is still on my shoulders. I, I mean, I'm still weighed down with it. I cannot get rid of this sin. It's just weighing me down. So what you do is you get somebody that you can trust and you tell them that sin. You say, I confess I'm doing this. Will you pray for me that I won't do it? I needed to tell somebody. I needed to tell a brother in Christ. I needed to tell a sister in Christ. If you can just commit to not tell anybody else about this and we can pray together... I am hoping for freedom because the word says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another concerning those sins that you may be healed from those sins, that you might get freedom from those sins. Freedom from that guilt, freedom from that despair, freedom from holding that around. Because God knows if you feel guilty, your relationship with him isn't gonna be vibrant. He wants you to know he has forgiven you of Those sins. And when you confess it to a brother and that brother or sister tells you, well, hey, you're forgiven and God has forgiven you. Sometimes you just need to hear what you already know from scripture. Sometimes you get freedom from that. You get free. Actually, it's not sometimes. That is the path to freedom from your sins. You confess to someone else. The prayer of a righteous person has great power As it is working, in context here, it means when I pray for you and you pray for me, that we would feel better, that we would grasp the truth of forgiveness in our life and gain freedom. That is an amazing, powerful prayer that I can pray for you and you can pray for me. There is power at work in that. I believe that the reason that people don't have peace from the sins that they're already forgiven from is because they will not take the step of courage and tell it to someone else to say, I'm struggling with this. I cannot get peace with this. Please pray for me. And this verse says that you will get peace. There is great power in that prayer. great power in that prayer let me see the next screen yeah do I have another quote somewhere yeah without confession sin camouflages itself to remain secret and destructive secret and destructive but if you confess it it brings it out into the open and God will work there's only one place really that I know of um that is consistent in confessing sin in our current culture. Do you know where that is? Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the one place. Churches churches don't do this much anymore. Um I I think we're free to do it here. I'm not saying that, but churches don't seem to do this much anymore. The reason that we have the altar open at the end of the service is because I don't know if you need to confess something here and it makes a difference because you went in front of people and you confessed it and you went back to your seat or you prayed for somebody and it's always open. But that's another lesson for another time. But it's Alcoholics Anonymous. And so there's 12 steps to the AA program. Now, if you're thinking that I've had a problem with alcohol, just don't know. I drink Cheerwine and now I'm drinking diet caffeine free Cheerwine. So I drink a lot of that and still drive. (laughs) But Alcoholics Anonymous has, has a 12 step program and I've kind of condensed it into like four things kind of thematically. The first thing that they do is they acknowledge, they have remorse and they admit that they're powerless to solve the problem. We are powerless to solve the problem of sin, but thanks be to God who has the power to do that for us. The second set is summed up like this. They publicly confess to those they have hurt and ask forgiveness for the wrongs they have done. So if you, know, if you ever know an alcoholic, there's some things that happen in the home sometimes that are really the result of that alcohol. Some people that are really nice, when they get drunk, they're really mean. So when they get sober, they can go back and apologize for that. And it starts to make that ordinary environment sacred. The next one was make restitution for the damage they have done. In other words, they take steps to heal those wounds, to to build that relationship back. That's what they're supposed to do. So they commit to do that. And then the last one, the last three, is all about um, pledging to live better. You know where they got those 12 steps from? Leviticus, chapters 1 through chapter 16. It's crazy, isn't it? And what God is saying to us this morning is sin is real. And if you want freedom from it, you need to confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive, us, forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What God is saying to you this morning is he desires to dwell with you in your sacred spaces. And what he wants is for you to do what you need to do to make those environments where he is welcome to come through the door. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. Randomly, God has not given up on you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you. I'll pick another one. God loves you, wants to dwell with you. And he's done what it takes for you to come to him. Yeah. Tony? I didn't say their names. I wanted everybody to know yours so they know you're a sinner. <laughs> God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you. And all you have to do is confess your sins, and he's right there. Right? Angie, because you're the second sinner, had to do a male and a female because, you know, we have to culture today. God loves you, and he wants to be with you, wants to dwell with you, and all you have to do is confess your sins, and he's right there. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's saying, come to me, confess your sins, accept me as your Savior, and I'll begin a relationship with you. That is an amazing thing. If you're sitting in this room and you're a Christian and you've went off the track, God is saying, I'm knocking at the door, confess your sins. I want to come in. I want to come in very, very much and be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. And thank you for pointing out what we already know, but we really don't want to admit that sin is real. And sin prevents fellowship with you. But Father, I'm I'm thankful that when it snows or rains or there's a hurricane that we're not worried about you passing judgment on us because that's not really what you do. What you do is say, hey, I'm here. If you confess your sins, we can fellowship with one another once again. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that truth. Thank you for being very clear in Leviticus as to how they could do it so that when we look at those verses we can see that you were serious about it and you want us thank you for very, being very clear in the new testament of how we can come to know you and how we can dwell with you we're so thankful for that you're truly truly a good and gracious and merciful god and we're it's a privilege for you to dwell among us. So help us, Father. Convict us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to have the courage to confess. And we leave all of that into your hands. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we...